For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Good evening, Blue Jays fans. Yes, no, this is not another solo episode, which is why I am actually leading into this. I am here with my buddy Craig Borden in Rochester, New York, for another episode of the Wednesday Wallop. Craig, we're just coming off of Canada Day here on Monday, and I understand that it is the 4th of July in the United States tomorrow. So what are you and the family getting up to tomorrow? Uh, looking forward to beer and barbecuing, like usual. <laughs> American fireworks. <laughs> Funny enough, we actually did uh, the fireworks stuff a lot over the weekend here, so it's already literally, you know how it is over here across the border. We just blow shit up to celebrate, so <laughs> it's been a continuing on effect. And me living literally on the exact opposite side of Lake Ontario here, and being only a few, like not even a whole mile off of the lake, have been hearing nothing but fireworks all week so far at like nine o'clock to yeah, way too late at night. <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm not surprised. I know um, I, I actually have an app for the country music radio station in Buffalo, and they put out an article on all the fireworks that will be going on, and they started over the weekend, and they even promoted the Canada Day fireworks on, on Monday. So it's nonstop fireworks in, uh, in upstate New York and western New York, as I understand it. Yeah, and I even think that the herd, actually, the Buffalo Bisons, had quote-unquote Toronto Blue Jay Canada Day fireworks on Sunday, I think, when they had their home game. <laughs> yeah. No, so, it's great. It's, it's insane. Uh, a nice, nice combination of both countries. Both awesome countries are coming together to uh, to celebrate. It's crazy how close that they are in terms of celebrating the countries, just a few days apart. So you can, as an honorary Canadian, Craig, you can take Monday. You could have taken Monday off and still take it tomorrow off. My one buddy I work with that actually is Canadian was a little pissed that he was at work on Monday. Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's too funny, man. But yeah, no, it's uh, all good stuff uh, in terms of how things are going up here with our Toronto Blue Jays lately. But there is some negativity around this team right now. I know we'll get into this a bit later, but Marcus Stroman dealing with a tech issue where he came out of the game on Saturday against the Kansas City Royals. Aaron Sanchez continues to look lost out on the mound. And before I tee you up with this one, Craig, and get your thoughts on the whole Aaron Sanchez situation... I want to read two tweets to you that were put out three hours ago by Ken Rosenthal. He said, Aaron Sanchez, watch. Next start is Friday. It's the last day for the Blue Jays to option to, uh, him to the minors. It's on Sunday. He will reach five years of service time and gains, right, or, and gains rights to, any, or to reject any assignment starting on Monday. Players never accept a demotion to the minor leagues after they get their five-plus years of service time. So they either stay in majors or get DFA'd. So the Blue Jays could decide to option him. They could keep him in the minors for the rest of 19 and gain an extra year of control over Aaron Sanchez. But Ken Rosenthal said a non-tender is more likely, which I find it hard to believe. What do you think the Blue Jays are going to end up doing with Aaron Sanchez? Because right now the guy looks lost out in the mound. Honestly, I'm shocked as much as Ken Rosenthal is reporting on such things. I would think he's got more important things to be reporting about, or is it just a slow news day, Brandon? (laughs) (laughs) But, um... I agree that the Aaron Sanchez 
saga is continuing and it's becoming more and more weird by the day apparently but i would have never in a million years thought we were going to first off be having this conversation and second i still don't see the blue jays doing any of the above that ken rosenthal laid out whether it's demoting him to the minors sending or dfaing him at the end of the season what i just i'm gonna go with the idea of what our fearless leader said who else is going to pitch <laughs> so uh but it's I, I think at some point it's going to click. It's amazing how much that injury early in the season where he missed those couple starts really derailed him, man. You know, he was he was cruising with the rest of this rotation in the, um, you know, the unification to begin the season and how they were all coming out of the bullpen together before games and everything, and it just seems like he was the one that fell off after all the other stuff had transpired, and it's amazing. I don't understand how it has happened this way, but this is not vintage um, Aaron Sanchez that we're seeing. This is I should be in the bullpen, Aaron Sanchez. It really is, man. And it's kind of crazy to think because just a few years ago, this man led the major leagues in ERA with a three right on the dot, 15-2 and two in 192 innings. The guy was a Cy Young candidate that year. But more and more as the seasons have gone along since then with the injuries and the inconsistencies out in the mound, the walks still continue to be a problem for Aaron Sanchez it's really starting to look like that 2016 has been an outlier for him. You look so far, he's thrown 87 innings, 102 hits surrendered, which is almost as many as he gave up in 105 innings a year ago. And he's walked 52 with an ERA of 631. It's getting worse and worse. So do you really think that they could send him to the bullpen? Because that right now is the only thing I can think of to try to get him right. He can't turn over a lineup right now. If we had anything else to be trucking out on the mound more or less right now Aaron Sanchez is an opener and you're hoping for more and even the opener thing might be a stretch when he's barely looking like he make it through four innings <laughs> so I it's insane I just don't know what's going on with his stuff or it's a mental thing or what but it's something is not clicking and those pitches are not moving the way they used to. We know it can happen, but he's either not following through, it's a mental thing, or it's the blister thing reoccurring, and it's just scaring him from really rearing back and throwing things the way he should be, Brendan. But it's just something's got to give. And like I said, I almost think you got to be treating him as an opener at this point. I think it's getting close to that, too. And honestly, I don't know in working with Scott Boris how open they would be for him to go to the bullpen, but at the same time, as I was talking with my buddy Michael LeClef at the Blue Jay game last night, if they send him the bullpen, there's nothing you can do about that because the team is in control of what he does out there on the mound. And at this point, you got to think, wouldn't going to the bullpen, getting guys out, which he has shown he can the first time through in order this year, his curveball and off-speed stuff has still been really good. It's his fastball that's getting hit, I believe, over 33% of the time. Opposing batters are hitting 330, or not a little, if not a little bit more, off of his fastball. So at this point, I think you have to start thinking maybe if you're not going to send him down to the minors, which I think would be crazy, and you obviously know that he wouldn't be happy with that, and you're pretty much just giving up on him in terms of ever re-signing with this team long-term. But something's got to give. He just looks completely lost. But you kind of set up a nice little segue there, my friend. I think that's your hosting skills in this podcast that are kicking into effect. They're suddenly staring at you, buddy. <laughs> That's right. You're just feeling my hosting job tonight to be a lot easier than uh, than I thought it would be. But uh, 
No, there's uh, there's some reinforcements coming along the way. We did say who the hell is going to pitch, but there are some reinforcements coming through the minors. Let's start a little bit lower. You watched Eric Cardinho start last night after he got reinstated to the Lansing Nuggets. How did he look? Outside of literally a couple pitches, Brendan, he looked just as good as when I saw him in Bluefield. Just he had lights out stuff. I love his delivery, and it reminds me, funny enough, of Masahiro Tanaka having that kind of slow, deliberate, and then all of a sudden it's boom, there it is. <laughs> and I will, I will say our Ryan, our buddy Ryan DeFrancesco had plenty of great stuff fed from the Meyer League feed last night, and the. Lansing Lugnuts unfortunately couldn't pull out a win against the Great Lake Loons, but Hardino gave up a two-run home run in the first inning. Obviously, might have been first inning jitters or whatever you want to call it. That was literally his single A debut last night, Brendan. So, him only giving up that two-run home run and then being solid locked in after that—very, very intriguing stuff. That was literally the only bad pitch he threw. I hear you, man. I didn't get to see that being at the Blue Jay game last night, but I was following along a little bit on Twitter, and everybody was raving about how good he looked. So I'm glad to hear that we actually had somebody who watched it last night. But, man, he's only 18 years old. He's born in 2001, so he's younger than Elvis Luciano, who's on the injured list right now. But if he was not injured at the beginning of the year, by the end of this season, where do you think he ends up? Because I think there was a legitimate case that he could get to double-A he, if he was healthy at the beginning of the year. Do you think he ultimately ends up in double-A by the season's end? I think he could have done it. I don't think that would have been the best idea. I think he would have definitely been... Let me put it this way. Eric Pardino in the Dunedin Blue Jays lineup right now would be insane, adding an arm like him. The Dunedin Blue Jays are easily one of the best teams in the Florida State League right now and have been crushing it. They're currently on a five-game winning streak, Brendan, and they're not looking at any time slowing down, and they've already locked up a playoff spot. It's insane. You added an arm like Pardino for that playoff stretch down the you know second half and into the playoffs. Lights out, and it still could happen. I don't think it will, but... Never know. They might want to throw him into the fire a little bit and see what happens in a playoff uh, environment for him. Although, this is a guy that already pitched in the World Baseball Classic when he was 16. <laughs> yeah. He's been in the fire quite a bit through his minor league career so far, even when he's even younger than he is now. It kind of sucks, man, because at the beginning of the year, and you even go back to last year, you look at Nate Pearson, who unfortunately had his arm broken on a comebacker. Nate Pearson, who's in double-A, is on the verge of coming to the major leagues. He probably could have been here by now if he was fully healthy last year, but now he's in double-A. But we were talking last week with our buddy Adam Corsair about the state of the Blue Jays and how it may not be so bleak with how good this offense has been. We'll get to that in a little bit. But I kind of want to touch on some of the guys who are up here currently, some of the guys who are still down in the minors, because last night, talking with my buddy Mike, the state of the rotation for next year in 2021 is starting to look maybe not so bleak. I know there's a whole debate of what you do with Marcus Stroman and how you fill in his uh, innings for the rest of the year, all that uncertainty around Aaron Sanchez. But when you see guys like Pardino come back getting healthy, Nate Pearson in A with Yenzi Diaz and Patrick Murphy, you're starting to see the next wave of starting pitching prospects. And now tonight, just taking the mound, Jacob Wogstack is out there as the follow-up to the opener that was David Phelps, who pitched a good first inning. Out of all the guys that are down in AA and AAA right now, TJ Zoik is another name. Who are you most excited for beyond Eric Pardino and Nate Pearson? I know the obvious answer is Patrick Murphy, but is there anybody else 
you think can come up, come up here, maybe by the end of this year, and be solid and solidified into the 2020 rotation? Oh, you first off, you know I have a man crush on Yesney Diaz's fastball. So thanks for the lead in. <laughs> <laughs> of course, got the way. So, but the other guy that honestly, over the last year or two, has actually really surprised me is Zach Logue. And he's been looking pretty good in New Hampshire as well. And honestly, I think he's that outlier dark horse candidate for that conversation of what we were talking about. Diaz and Patrick Murphy, I think, are guys you have to give part of the conversation to this year because they're already on the 40-man roster. You're already clicking against their service time. Bring them up in September. Let them throw a few innings, get their feet wet a little bit so that maybe they can get their, you know, cut their teeth a little bit and come into spring training hot and uh, see what happens. But, um... Logue has been locating everything really, really well. I know he's got an ERA of dancing just south of four in uh, New Hampshire at the moment, but he has been pretty sneaky in his 15 starts. And other than a couple little outliers that have really boosted that ERA, Brendan, over his last 10 starts, he's only had two starts where he didn't go, oh, sorry, three starts where he didn't go six innings. That's something the Blue Jays could sorely need right now. It sure is, man, especially with how much this rotation is in flux with some of the injuries, the inconsistencies with Sanchez. Trent Thornton is tipping his pitches, apparently, which is why he's gotten rocked each of the last two starts. I also want to touch on a little bit some of the guys down in AAA because Sean Reed Foley obviously was up here and pitching very well, but he got demoted pretty much just because they needed a guy for tonight. I want to touch on TJ Zoic because he had his third AAA start today. Six innings, five hits, two in runs two walks and two strikeouts, and he is a ground ball machine. When are we going to see TJ Zoic up here? Is it going to be as soon as the trade deadline is passed and they need an arm to fill in for Marcus Stroman? I would be shocked if we didn't move a pitcher and TJ Zoic wasn't one of the first guys called. I know Sean Reed Foley's on that bubble right now because he's been pitching better, and he honestly was really impressive the last couple outings with the Blue Jays. I'm, honestly, I was shocked because it was night and day different than watching his last couple starts in Buffalo where he was still struggling with that um, the control stuff. But you could see, we've said it repetitively, the stuff is there for Sean Reed Foley, and it's going to come, Brendan. It's just it's going to be one of those clicking moments where he all of a sudden did it a couple years ago and shot through New Hampshire and Buffalo to the point where he was ready to get looked like he could dominate in the major leagues. It looked like he didn't have anything else to learn, and then he took that step back coming into spring training this year, and we're at the current situation, right? <laughs> so, but uh, so I, I don't know what he does that is fooling all these minor league hit, hitters, but I really think it's going to translate. He's not really overpowering everybody, even though he does have a nice explosive fastball, but it's still in the mid-90s. It's not, I think it really is more 93 consistently. I would have to double-check a couple things on that, Brendan, but he just knows how to get people out, and he keeps the ball down in the zone, and like you said, ground balls are great. Marcus Stroman did that for years when he was having his best times, and we've seen when he has his dominant starts this season, same thing. Yeah, man. And it's they need a guy who could get ground balls. And I think another thing in terms of getting TJ Zoic up here, he was the first round draft pick of the first draft of the Shapiro and Atkins regime. So I think there may be, I don't know if there's any internal pressure. I doubt that. But getting TJ Zoic up here, maybe as a guy who can be solidified into this rotation for 2020 would be a huge boost to a rotation where there are a lot of question marks heading into next year. I know that was one of the concerns that Adam Corsair had for the state of the Blue Jays going into next season, but 
there's two guys up here right now. I, I'm still considering Sean Reed Foley as a big leaguer because they're already talking about him uh, potentially being in the rotation after the All-Star break next week. Last night, he had one of his best outings in his major league career. He pitched in relief one day ahead of the scheduled start, so he's a little bit ahead of schedule in terms of his next scheduled start, which was supposed to be tonight. Faced 10 Red Sox, and he retired them all with four strikeouts, and I don't believe he walked a guy. Nope. So, do you Which is saying a lot for what he's been doing in Buffalo. <laughs> exactly, because he's been walking everybody the entire time. Honestly, I don't know if you agree with me on this comparison, Craig, but Sean Reed Foley reminds me so much of when Aaron Sanchez was coming up through the minor leagues, because the whole thing with Aaron Sanchez was his control. I know, obviously, now the control is still an issue with Sanchez, but those few years when he was really good and a solid starter in the big leagues, the walks were under control. Could it be a, a, maybe a consideration with Sean Reed Foley that when he gets up here, he's around the best coaches in the Blue Jays organization that it just clicks because he's up here. All the adrenaline is pitching out there. He looks really good, and you can see what he can do when he actually finds a strike zone. Do you see that comparison at all? I do, and I think a lot of that is so much of a comfort thing with Sean Reed Foley. I Honestly, I don't think I can say enough credit to the Blue Jays' management for bringing in Charlie Montoyo and the coaching staff that is around him. John Schneider, man, is a freaking the best thing that's happened to Blue Jays Major League Baseball, I think, in a long time. Just the fact that he's been there with all these guys throughout the minor league system. How does Sean Reed Foley not get amped up to want to you know, go out there for his old manager and just rake? <laughs> you know, it's it's cool that they got that collective together, and I think that it only, you know, all these players are going to reap the benefits of it. And obviously, I think the one big thing is we even got one of those guys that in Schneider pitching in the All-Star game kind of quasi. <laughs> Yeah, that speaks volumes, actually, being able to pitch to Vlad Jr. I think that's going to be a lot of fun on Monday night. But I think you and I are both along the same wavelengths with Sean Reed Foley. Both very excited for him. We know the stuff is there. In his 12 innings this year, he's already struck out 12 guys. And last year when he was up here in 33 innings, he struck out, I'm finding the number right now, he struck out 42 guys. Obviously, he walked 21, so the control was a little bit of an issue. But, man, I mean, Sean Reed Foley can pump it in there around 94 miles per hour, got a wicked slider and curveball. There's nothing to suggest that if he can put it together with this control, that he cannot be relied upon every fifth day as soon as 2020 and maybe even for the rest of the season. Yeah, the best thing about Sean Reed Foley is his stuff and the fact that he doesn't even need to get fully under control of that stuff. A power pitcher like him and Sanchez is never going to be a pinpoint control guy like a Greg Maddox or you know, a Roy Holiday to give the Blue Jay comparison. They're going to go out there, they're going to air it out, and it's going to go close to the plate. That's all they need. If it gets in that one ball length in any direction on the strike zone, major league, pitch, major league hitters are going to swing at it. And with that kind of stuff he's got coming out of there, with the movement on the fastball and his other pitches, that's going to carry. The problem is right now, Brendan, is like we were talking about with these control issues in the minor leagues, they weren't missing a ball or two off the strike zone. They're missing five, six bouncing in the dirt <laughs> things like that <laughs> and um major league major league hitters are not going to swing at things that far out of the strike zone unless you have some insane amount of freaking slide or curve on your balls a la, a la and andros chapman or something like that or you know whoever like anybody that has that kind of movement on those pitches he needs to be near the zone to be great and i think that's what he's been showing since he came up with the blue jays in his last little showing here yeah, I completely agree. And I, I'm excited to see what he can do whenever his next scheduled start is. Because I, I fully believe that as soon as next week, 
I think they're starting to set up the rotation a little bit in preparation for when Marcus Stroman gets traded. Because if you're already saying that Reed Foley will enter the rotation, hasn't been confirmed, but as soon as potentially after the All-Star break, and then you got Trent Thornton, probably still Aaron Sanchez working through his trouble, Clayton Richard, and then the guy who's going tonight, Jacob Wagaspak, I'm kind of intrigued by him because he was acquired from Air, by, uh, by the Blue Jays in the Aaron Luke trade with Philadelphia. And you go through his Fangraphs page, he had some really good years in the minors. It seemed like he struggled as the competition got better, which is obvious for a young guy going through the minor leagues. But Wagaspak starting tonight, his one outing so far, four innings of release, he struck out seven Tampa Bay Rays. And he also he already had a good top of the second inning. I did promise live updates of Jacob Wagaspak start tonight. <laughs> Ultimately, he's a big guy, man. Like, he is, I believe he's 6'7". He's tall, and he doesn't throw that hard. But he kind of intrigues me of a guy who could be a fourth or fifth starter in the, this rotation. And I know you being much closer to Buffalo and the minor league guru saw a lot more of Jacob Wagaspak in Buffalo. Do you think he has the stuff to be able to be a back end of the rotation arm? I think he's a wild card right now because we've seen two stories from him, Brendan. We're what, we've seen what we were talking about, and then we've also seen the actual 5.30 ERA that he was sporting in the minors this season, which is, and a lot of people wonder why he's even in the majors, but the idea of the we have to try things out. Right now you're going to find out what you have in Jacob Wozniak through the rest of this season. And honestly, I've been intrigued watching him go through that Tampa Bay lineup that you were just talking to. And the fact that he is doing pretty damn good through through these couple, uh, you know, this one inning of so far of Red Sox. So, if he has enough movement on his pitches to keep Major League ba- Baseball players off balance, he is easily that fourth or fifth starter you were talking about. Or worst case scenario, he's a swing guy that's going to be in the back and the back and forth bulk you know, six starter. <laughs> yeah, but if this is a guy I wouldn't mind having eating innings at all because he is going to come out there and give me a little bit of everything. But I don't think he's ever going to be truly wretched on the mound. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I do entirely. And you know what? We've talked about this at the beginning of the year when we were having the Sean Reed Foley debut, uh, or I guess kind of debate in terms of if he should have had a rotation spot uh, with all the injuries out of the gates with the Blue Jays. You got to, at some point, you just got to see what these guys have, and Wagus Pack is up next. If he can go out and have a good start tonight, uh, following David Phelps, his next start could be on Sunday, right before the All-Star break, and you never know. He could be a guy, after Stroman is traded, that is relied upon to eat innings in this rotation, so it is nothing but a positive development, but kind of going back and tying up this discussion about the state of the rotation and all the uncertainty, one thing that Ross Atkins and Mark Shapiro always said when they got here, and as they continue to build this organization from top to bottom, all the way down to the lower level of the minor leagues, is they want to have waves of talent coming through at all times. And we're starting to see those waves, which is why we will see guys like TJ Zoic, Jacob Wagaspak, and Sean Reed Foley the remainder of the year, because they're going to have to start making calls on these because those guys that we mentioned, Pardino, Zach Logue, Ryan Barucki is going to come back from injury soon, so he kind of can be that, I wouldn't call him the next wave, but other guys, Yenzi Diaz, Patrick Murphy, you're starting to see that wave of pitchers being able to come up. So you're going to have to start making calls on guys like Sean Reed Foley, Wagus Pack, and in uh, company for the rest of the season. So it'd be nothing but good if Wagus Pack can go out there tonight and look good and roll with it because they're going to need him to, aren't they? 
I think worst case scenario, what you get out of Wagaspec this rest of the season is you're going to have somebody doing exactly what Sean Reed Foley did last night. Just let him come into the game. If something weird blows up in the first couple innings, let him pitch three, four innings. And that's almost like having that kind of like sixth starter kind of idea. He's going to be your long guy out of the bullpen. And then this is a guy that you will know in the midst of that argument, Brendan, that we, okay, maybe I need to give him more starts. Worst case scenario, you know? Yeah, absolutely. It, it, honestly, thinking about it, I personally don't think we are that far off with how good the offense has been lately. We're starting to see guys come around, which kind of segues into what we want to talk about next, which is how red hot the offense is. But when you look at it big picture, I really don't think it will be that hard to put together a rotation without Marcus Stroman for 2020. People got to remember, they have so much money to play with on the books for next year to sign free agents. I know there's probably not the big guy, and they won't go after the big fish just yet. They may bring in another veteran, kind of what they did with Richard and Shoemaker. Shoemaker will be back next year as well. But, man, if this offense continues to be red hot and takes up momentum into 2020, I don't think it's that far off to say that this team can start putting themselves on the map as a team to look out for in 2020. Yeah, which is going what we were even talking about before the season. I honestly think we're seeing what I was expecting from Blue Jay baseball right now, Brendan, and I think you would agree with me on that. I do, 100%. And that leads nicely into the offense, because the offense over the last week since we last recorded, and even a little bit uh, when we recorded with Corsair last week, they were looking good and very competitive against the Yankees. They just took three out of four from Kansas City. They're putting up runs like crazy. And even last night, when they got down big early to the Boston Red Sox, they scratched back and made it a game towards the end of it. Who has impressed you most other than Lourdes Gurriel the last stretch, because he's the obvious guy? Out of all the young guys on this roster, who has impressed you most during this hot streak for the offense? Oh, I'm so happy that Danny Jansen is finally showing up at the plate. I knew it was coming. What, he's been my pick to click, what, three times? (laughs) <laughs> and I'm failing miserably. I knew it was coming, Brendan. And the fact that he has exploded since our last recording to the tune of some crazy... Um, i got to look it up now as I had it in front of me a minute ago. But he's been just on fire the last week, and he's got a couple on balls to meet. You know, I knew it was coming, that confidence. You could see it. He's comfortable behind the plate, so it was only going to start bleeding over into his offense. And... With him doing that at the bottom of the lineup, that's what's made this thing a little bit more dangerous. The, our lineup is now instantly a one through nine when you got Jansen at the bottom hitting like he is, instead of it being oh. more of a one through what seven six spot. <laughs> yeah, no, you hit the nail on the head right there. And the one thing I always looked at with Danny Jansen, and I brought this up last week, with the addition of his great game last night, still he's batting under two hundred. I think he's right at 196, so right below the Mendoza line. But his expected batting average is almost 250 now. And his expected slugging is getting close to 400, which is what it was about last year when he came up here. He's just been so unlucky. You look at his hard hit percentage of 43.3. He's not striking out that much anymore. I believe the stat was before we started recording. Sportsnet showed a graphic. He actually is among the league leaders in active plate appearances without striking out. His last one was June 21st, so you're going back to the weekend before uh, Canada the day-long weekend. But if Danny Jansen can put it together, look good offensively, combine that with how good he has looked behind the plate, which is all the question marks for last year, I think you are looking at your catcher of the future, don't you? 
hundred percent, man. And I thought it was more intriguing that we've been, we know he's been struggling. He bet a buck 43 for the month of April. May was a steady increase where he ended up finishing the month a little bit more solid, <laughs> I guess, but not anywhere near as close as you know he could do. And then June, man, he ended up batting almost 250 and it's only gotten better since. So and the the power's coming too, which is what I'm very excited about because he had that in the minor leagues as well. I think at the beginning of the year, you and I both called at least 15, 20 home runs. I don't think you'll get that this year, but next year I don't think that's so far off. And when you go through the state of the lineup and what it could be for next year, you're penciling in Lourdes Gurriel, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., um, Justin Smoke, maybe Vladimir. Gu- or, I already mentioned Vlad, Kevin Biggio, uh, Rowdy Tellez, Danny Jansen. Randall Gertrick, you're getting seven deep of guys who can take the ball out of the ballpark. But I want to pick your brain a little bit on Kevin Biggio because, man, this guy has proven to have such incredible plate discipline. He's barely swinging up balls out of the zone. He's taking his walks. And it seems like that approach is rubbing off on guys like Vlad Jr. and others who continue to take their walks up there. And we're seeing them get guys on base for Lourdes Gurriel to clean them up and for Justin Smoke and Rowdy to clean them up. How impressed have you been with Kevin Biggio? Because personally, I did not expect this from Kevin Biggio this quickly. I was expecting super, super competitive at bats from him, one way or the other. Regardless if he was batting a buck fifty, he's not batting a buck fifty. <laughs> Just to put that in perspective, <laughs> he's batting two fifty-seven right now, going into tonight's game, and six home runs is pretty impressive. I know he's got those couple multi-hit home, or multi-home run games mixed in there, but. How has he got 22 RBIs right now already, Brendan? It's insane. I know he's been batting in the cleanup spot, but I was honestly, I figured figured with his approach and the state of this current lineup, he was going to be slated for the leadoff spot for the rest of the season. But with Eric Sogard doing what he's been doing, I honestly see the reasoning. You got that spark plug all of a sudden at the lineup. But I was thinking you would have had somebody like Biggio frustrating the living crap <laughs> out of pitchers to lead off the <laughs> lead off uh, games, but that's it. like I said, that's what what Sogard's been doing, following every other pitch off. But it's in it. You got Sogard doing that, and then a couple guys in Guriel and Guerrero that just can mash in the two three spot, and then you have Biggio batting fourth right now. That's another frustrating at bat for a pitcher. It's a mentally taxing lineup as it currently sits for major league pitchers. Man, it really is. And there's another one coming, who I hope is still in AAA when we go to Buffalo. That's kind of a, a sneak peek. Yes, you and I will both be watching the Buffalo Bisons on the weekend of July 21st. And I want to touch on Bobichette, because this guy has been absolutely on fire. I think he will be up here as long as Sogard or Freddie Galvis could be dealt from this team, because he's got to get his everyday plate appearances if he gets called up here. Bobichette has been the catalyst for the Buffalo Bisons, and there's another guy in 2020 that you can plug into the lineup. So you're adding another quality major league bat to that lineup. Do you think Bo Bichette will get up here right after the trade deadline, even if Freddie Galvis and Sogard are not dealt and still on this roster? Because I think they may have to. I think it's getting to that point where he's forcing their hand. And honestly, I just knew that was what he was going to eventually do this season. He's once again batting 300 and just completely raking. He's batting 410 over his last 10 games. No home runs or anything, Brendan, but he's got five RBIs and just looking pretty good. And the thing that I'm honestly amazingly impressed is with after the injuries and whatnot that he did have to deal with, he's got seven stolen bases over the last 10 games. That's something this lineup needs. 
I don't care where you look at it, but I think at this point, you know what you're got from you're not going to keep Galvis, you're not going to keep Sogard as much as this is Eric Sogard's team right now. <laughs> but um, I just I have to make room to see what Bobachet can do this season with these kind of numbers in Buffalo this year. I can't wait because it's what do you get out of waiting? I could compete I, next I, year with him a full as my full-time shortstop if I see what he can do this year. I completely agree. I I, I I selfishly hope that they keep him down until after the All-Star or until after the trade deadline so that we do see him in Buffalo. That's obviously one of the major drivers to wanting to go on this trip other than to trade have deadline. some shenanigans. With, exactly. <laughs> yeah, other than to have some shenanigans with, with you in uh, one of our favorite cities, which is easy to meet up in. But, man, this guy continues to impress the early season injury. And the one thing that I've always been so impressed with Boba Shett is every level that he's gotten promoted to, he has his early struggles, but he adjusts so well to the level of pitching at that, at that uh, stop. So maybe there probably will be some extended struggles when he gets to the majors, but why not have those extended struggles for the rest of the year and the seasons that lost? I think you have to call him up soon. And if it's not after the trade deadline, I would personally be shocked. I think the biggest thing that it will alleviate any of those issues, as you were alluding to there, man, is the fact that his support network is all in Buffalo right now, other than Anthony Alford. His best friends are all in Toronto. All the guys he's won with over the years, everything. It's going to be a very exciting second half of the season after the trade deadline if Boba Shett's in this lineup. Just watching him, Lourdes, Guerrero Jr., and Biggio just freaking – Jump for joy, man. <laughs> it's going to be insane to watch. <laughs> I don't know how else to explain it. It's the, the, the Watching the three of them play together in the stops that I have had to see him over the last few years, even in all the way back to Lansing when it was just Bo and Vlad, I was having an immense fun time watching the, how they feed off each other. And that stuff is going to be very exciting to see on nationally televised baseball games throughout the rest That's of the true. season. It sure will. And you know what? You can sense the excitement on Blue Jays' Twitter. Over the last three, four weeks, getting close to a full month of this offense really turning things around. In terms of how excited people are, and more and more you're seeing people are like, yeah, the, I, the it's not so muddy anymore. You're looking at a team that could put themselves on the map for 2020. But kind of to put a wrap on kind of the offense and how red hot they've been, and now that we've dived down into Buffalo a little bit and some of the guys down there, I'll give you a rapid-fire question. For the rest of the year, after the trade deadline, who's up here as a full-time center fielder or somewhere else in the outfield? Is it Anthony Alford or is it Jonathan Davis? I think it will be Anthony Alford with how he's been playing lately, 100%. And I want to see that so badly because Anthony Alford, I think you and I would both agree, is so key to how good this team could be much quicker because the state of the outfield right now, I think he can pencil uh, Lourdes as a left fielder for next year. I think he's shown enough that he will be there on opening day next year. You're going to have Randall Gritchick, and if you can solidify that third outfield spot with Anthony Alford, I think Billy McKinney's time isn't going to be so long. It kind of sucks because Billy McKinney was a guy who I thought could be a spark plug at the top of the lineup, but you could look at Jonathan Davis as your fourth outfielder for next year. But I agree with you. I think it'll be Anthony Alford that comes up here sooner rather than later as well because he's just been mashing the baseball down in triple a yeah so this, this i a guy that was barely batting oh, batting 200 that is all of a sudden batting 256 <laughs> exactly. he's been 350 over the last 
10 games with seven RBIs, a home run, uh, seven walks, six stolen bases. This is an igniting level of a lineup guy that can be very exciting to watch. And he plays stellar defense in center. Yeah, and one crazy thing I had no idea about is in his very limited time up here, Jonathan Davis, speaking of him, he already has three defensive runs saved in the outfield. And I believe the league leader in the outfield is at 9 or 10. So he's already getting close <laughs> to the major league leaders in terms of defensive runs saved out in the outfield. So I wouldn't be surprised if he gets a look too. But I think the same logic that we were just discussing earlier about needing to see guys like Wagus Tack and Reed Foley and, and everybody else come up here and get their shots in the rotation, you have to ride it out with Anthony Alford over an extended period of time, don't you? Yeah, and I really think that you hit the nail on the head there, too, with the fourth outfielder needs to be Jonathan Davis. I am Unfortunately, I'm over the Billy McKinney uh, outfield experiment. I uh, don't <laughs> see him coming back up to the majors other than when rosters expand. And even in that question, maybe, because he's still not doing a ton when he's down in Buffalo either. So I'm kind of waiting for him to show me something at this point where I know Jonathan Davis's defense and his speed will carry 100% in the major leagues, where uh, McKinney gives me a pinch hit home run once in a blue moon. <laughs> I know that yeah. Jonathan Davis can steal me a few bases, Brendan. Uh, yeah, oh, I completely agree. I, and if that, if that all comes true, which is what we were just talking about, you have your you have your nine guys in the in the position in the uh, in the field set for next year in the batting order. So the offense is pretty much close to set. The rotation still has some question marks about it, but I think we've kind of solved that a little bit in our discussion today, and that will continue to be a discussion point as the season goes along and we continue to record. Especially when we get some more pieces, hopefully. Exactly, exactly. Some more pieces uh, continue to add to uh, the talent in the minor league system with some trades potentially at Ken Giles and Marcus Stroman, which we've touched in depth on with Jason Lee and Adam Corsair and uh, over the last few weeks. But I want to talk a little bit about actually probably a little more than a little bit about the upcoming festivities in Cleveland on Monday and Tuesday. If confirmed, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. will be going to the Home Run Derby on Monday night in Cleveland. And Marcus Stroman is the Blue Jays' also representative as a starting pitcher. Stroman is dealing with a little bit of a peck issue right now, as we both uh, kind of alluded to earlier in our discussion. But as of right now, it may seem like he could miss that, uh, that all-star game because of his pec issue. All depends on if he starts tomorrow night. But I want to talk on Vlad Jr. and the Home Run Derby. This was a discussion where Adam and I were on complete polar opposite ends, where there were some reservations. You were kind of in the middle playing Norway or whatever that saying is, that country that's right in the middle. Switzerland. Yeah, I don't know. I'm Switzerland. Any, <laughs> Switzerland, that's it. I knew it was some country over in Europe in the northern part. So, yeah, you're playing Switzerland on that one. Kind of just neutral ground. Excited. But... After you saw his home run derby practice yesterday, uh, I think he's ready for this. He's the only guy in the major leagues right now with four balls hit over 115 miles per hour. Give me a prediction. How how will Vlad Jr. do in the All-Star home run derby next week? He's going to do it well enough that he's going to intrigue us to do a live commenting on tour, Twitter live <laughs> to do this stuff. We're going to call it, I think, is the best idea we've had in a while. <laughs> and I really think it's going to be must-see TV, man. I think this home run derby is – I love what the Major League Baseball did with this home run derby, opening up to everybody. You have the bounty 
<laughs> basically. Yeah. <laughs> that the player can walk away with some extra bonus cash. And the fact that you have Vlad Jr. and Pete Alonso in the home run derby together, in my opinion, you're adding two of the best po- best young power hitters in Major League Baseball square- squaring off against each other. That's exciting stuff, man. That hasn't been really there. We know that Giancarlo Stanton's going to hit a million home runs if he's in a home run derby, you know, those kind of things. But it's a complete wild card with those two. But I'm very excited after those home run derby uh, videos yesterday. They were insane. It's it's going to be such a spectacle. I actually think he has a shot of winning the whole thing, just based on how hard he hits the balls. And yesterday, the one encouraging thing with me, I know he was getting tossed, I'm assuming, by John Schneider, who will be throwing to him next Monday in Cleveland, that he was not overswinging at all and how effortless it was to put the ball in the stands at Rogers Center. And he'll hit some into that uh, bleacher's in, in Cleveland next week. There's going to be some majestic moonshots. But we also know Marcus Stroman will be going to the All-Star game. I'm assuming Ken Giles is on the short list of pitchers to replace a pitcher who maybe pitches over the weekend or maybe gets injured and not available to pitch in the All-Star game on Tuesday. But, Craig, let's go around the horn here. I want to pick our Blue Jays All-Stars because this kind of tees up uh, going into the All-Star break uh, after Sunday's game against Baltimore Orioles this weekend. Who is your Blue Jays Cy Young Award winner at this point in the season? I'm going to say Stroman just because I was not expecting him to come out and do even what he has done. I was expecting him to be more in the four ERA easy and have a little bit of struggling, especially with what's going on offensively. I was expecting those losses to kind of weigh on him and have him a little bit below what we were you know, hoping. But honestly, I couldn't be more impressed with what he's done on the mound this year. And it's going to be sad to watch him go if he does, but I can see exactly why with what he's been doing that they're going to maybe possibly want to sell high on him. I couldn't think of a better guy to be representing the Blue Jays at the All-Star game. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I think I have to give it to Stroman as well just because he was recognized with that uh, All-Star appearance. Ken Giles is uh, pretty close, if not equal, uh, to that potential award as well. So maybe I'll give it as a co-award winners between Ken Giles and Marcus Stroman for Cy Young. Before I do have somebody that could have rode in on a write-in campaign as Sam Gavilio as being the critical part of the pitching rotation. <laughs> yeah, I'd agree with that. I think if you were to pick an underrated player of the year on this roster, wouldn't it be Sam Gavilio? 100%. He's solidified a role that nobody was expecting we were going to have to fill. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, I completely agree. I completely agree. It's been nice to see him actually carve out a role for himself in the bullpen uh, this year. And I think he saved his career. I think you can pencil him into the bullpen next year as well because I'm assuming he's still under club control. Now, here's an interesting one for you, and I just thought of it before I asked that Cy Young Award question because we brought up John Schneider and we've raved about the coaching staff that they have up here in the major leagues. Somebody other, na- uh, other than Charlie Montoyo, because that would be the obvious one to pick, who would be your coach of the year at this point? Because you have guys like Pete Walker, Guillermo Martinez, the hitting coach, John Schneider, Dave Hudgens, and Shelly Duncan. Anybody comes to mind when I ask you that question? I, I can't get John Schneider off my mind. From what I hear, he does on the sides and everything like that, along with you know how he's interacting with all these young players because he is a young coach himself, and he was with them in the Meyer Leagues. You know that if they're having a rough day, and this is no – disrespect to anybody on that coaching staff because I'm sure they're all go-to people like this but if you're one of those guys that played for him and you're having a struggle how do you not 
going over to him and going, yo, man, what the hell? What am I doing wrong? <laughs> <laughs> so or somebody that you've already had those conversations with that you're comfortable with. And I think that's just as far as a key role goes. Him and Shelly Duncan and all the new company have been very, very, very good. And I think, unfortunately, Pete Walker is going to catch a bum rap by the end of this season with the plethora of stuff that we've had to throw at him because of the state of the Blue Jays pitching. Yeah, I, I think Pete Walker could be kind of the scapegoat uh, for uh, Blue Jays coaches by the end of the year. I'm going to give mine to Guillermo Martinez, the hitting coach. He's a young hitting coach, and usually if you have an offense that's been this bad for the majority of the year, obviously they've turned things around lately, Usually you start hearing people on Blue Jays' Twitter and other spots being like, what is this guy trying to teach them? What is this guy doing? What can he do? Are they he firing stuck... you cowards? Exactly. <laughs> and he's young. he's in his 30s, so he's still young. But the fact that there's been no talk about firing Guillermo Martinez or even questioning the approach that he has been trying to instill in these young hitters makes me believe that he is a good coach and they will continue to listen to him. And he's helped guys come out of Fonks. I think he's really helped guys like Kevin Biggio and, and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Luis Gurriel Jr. as well throughout this season. So my vote would be Guillermo Martinez just because we haven't heard that talk at this point. But Schneider, I think, also is a great pick because, as you mentioned, he came up with this core of young players. And there will be an obvious bond between him and Bobachette when he gets up here and some of those other starters that rose through the minor leagues with John Schneider. So I'm glad that they did give him a job at the major league level. Honestly, man, if it continues this way and it opens up a whole other debate as to how long people think Montoyo's tenure as manager would be, I don't think it's so crazy to think maybe two or three years down the road that maybe John Schneider gets a look at being the manager of this team because he managed all these guys down in the minor leagues. Maybe, and maybe did a stretch and a reach and a hot take, but I don't think it's that crazy to think maybe in a few years down the road it could be John Schneider. That's the manager that takes this team to the playoffs in the promised land. Yeah. Who knows? But in all reality, I don't see any reason that you would ever think anything but Charlie Montoya is going to be the head of this team ever. <laughs> he, right now, he's my Ron Gardner with the Twins <laughs> with what he's doing with his foundation of this team. And I think he's – it's going to be – honestly, I'm hoping this doesn't happen, Brendan, but I could see our coaching staff in a couple of years – being the farm club just like the Rays were this past offseason. Yeah, no, I agree with and that for sure. three managers all of a sudden on major league teams. And John Schneider Absolutely. being one of those guys that would be a front runner for one of those jobs. Absolutely. And you know what? They just showed a, a glimpse into the dugout uh, on Sportsnet just now, John Schneider talking to Kevin Biggio after one of his at-bats. So he continues to be such a stabilizing influence in that dugout, which is great to see. It definitely opens up a discussion for another point in time in terms of Charlie Montoya and his long-term future here. Again, he's done nothing to even think that that's a possibility, but some people maybe start thinking that a few years down the road. But in terms of the rookies that we've seen here this year, I mean, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is an obvious choice. He's been here long. Kevin Biggio has been great. I can't include Lourdes Gurriel in that discussion because he doesn't have rookie eligibility, I don't believe. But who has been your rookie of the year so far for the Toronto Blue Jays? Honestly, I think the one that's most impressed me is the limited time that Rowdy Telez has been able to start and the fact that he's been Captain Clutch 
as he's been my most improved rookie. <laughs> and I've been yeah. very, very intrigued to see what he has. I think the obvious idea is if he still qualifies for whatever reason, as Loris Gurriel Jr. has been a freaking you know, left field uh you know, phenomenon all of a sudden. <laughs> but um, I've been very, very happy in the development that I have seen out of Rowdy Telez. And this is a guy that I'm going to be afraid to pitch to in late innings in, for the near future. Yeah, I don't see why not in terms of 2020 and 2021 if smoke isn't back, that Rowdy can be that guy at the fifth or sixth spot in the batting order once it starts to get a little bit deeper. A guy who can take you deep. The one thing I wish I'd seen a little bit more of Rowdy this year is the ability to get on base. I haven't seen that quite yet, but the power, there's no denying that it's there. I'm going to go with Trent Thornton. I know he struggled the last few turns of the rotation, and that's because of the pitching, uh, of the tipping of the pitches. They're probably going to work on that with him over the All-Star break. Uh, but just he's surpassed my expectations in terms of a guy who, at the beginning of the year with all the injuries he fought, how long is Trent Thornton going to stick here? He's proven he can go out there and have some really good outings and stymie some offenses. Uh, that start a few Fridays ago at Fenway Park was a prime example of that, and he's had other really good starts this year. I'm going to give it to Thornton just because he's been that guy who's taken the ball every turn through the rotation thus far. And to me, he solidified himself as a back-end option for 2020 and maybe even beyond that. Makes that trade for Ledmus Diaz look so good, and I think there'll be more trades like that when the Blue Jays have surpluses of infielders and outfielders for that guy who just need to be there to stabilize things in the rotation or the batting order. Final question for you in terms of our Blue Jays award winners, uh, almost at the unofficial halfway point. Who has been your team MVP? So before I go into my team MVP, I have to make the joke here that I think Lourdes Gurriel Jr. might have heard us dissing him about not being on that rookie list because he just <laughs> hit his 15th home run of the season. And he was a ball. <laughs> and he was a monster. So honestly, I, you know that I've been, I, I've been completely shocked with what Eric Sogard has done for this offense. And the fact, I'm wondering right now if we didn't have him at the top of our lineup, what the hell our offense would be doing. He, what was it the other night that he saw 15 pitches from Chris Sale before yep. finally singling? That's insane. Yep. Who the hell does that? Especially this day and age. That's Tony Gwynn level crap. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I just I can't imagine somebody frustrating batters in that lineup or like just like he is. Maybe outside of Kevin Biggio, who has not been here long enough, in my opinion, to make that um, staple to this award. And I just think it's amazing what he's been able to do. And it's been his offense to ignite every night. And he's done a very good job, including on Vladdy night when we were there. <laughs> yeah, uh, that Vladdy night was just so electric. That was so much fun. And I'm glad we were able to make that work. And now definitely somebody who uh, is worthy of that award at this point. It's been completely shocking. Nobody ever would have thought that this would have come from Eric Sogard. So, He's up there for me. I think he would take my runner-up. And I don't know if I can really pick him because he, he's just been so good. I, st I love Ken Giles, man. I think I have to go with Ken Giles just because he's po positioned himself to get a haul at the trade deadline. We went into heavy discussions about trade comps last week with Adam Corsair about what Ken Giles may be able to fetch this team. But he has just been at lights out, one-blown save, 
which was at the beginning of April in cold weather at Fenway Park when I believe it was raining. So the fact that Ken Giles has just been such a rock in the bullpen has positioned himself to be probably, I would argue, their biggest trade chip at the trade deadline. I'm going to give it to Giles with Eric Sogard and Lourdes Gurriel being very close runner-ups for that MVP award. Uh, To say on the Ken Giles thing, I think similar to what I was saying about Eric Sogard being the what would the offense be without him, that's exactly what our bullpen is if we didn't have Ken Giles to this point in the season. Yeah, I don't know what the state of the bullpen would be without him. I'm so glad that that injury doesn't seem to be something that's going to affect him long-term for the rest of the year. Still hasn't pitched on back-to-back days, which could give people some reason for concern, but it has been a lot of fun to see Ken Giles every time he's taken the mound so far this year. I don't think it's going to hurt his trade value too much when how bad the Red Sox bullpen is. (laughs) Yep. Yep. The Red Sox should be lining up at the door. To send everybody in Pawtucket. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Give us like four guys who could be impactful. Uh, Just take Ken Giles off our hands because he can solve so many issues for that Red Sox bullpen. I was saying saying last year. Yeah, exactly. You get him for two playoff runs potentially. And I, I still am very interested to see where he's going to end up because I have a hard time believing that Marcus Stroman won't be hard-pressed uh, to acquire by Anthopolis and the Braves. I just think that connection is too obvious to make, especially with the Braves rotation being a little bit of flux. And they have guys who are kind of in a similar vein to Aaron Sanchez who are kind of struggling to figure things out. If you got me a Sean Newcomb, and you traded Ken Giles or Marcus Stroman to the Braves and got Newcomb in return, maybe that's a big ask, but they should be asking big for these guys. So I still think it could be the Braves, but it'll be interesting to see, nonetheless, over the next few weeks as trade discussions heat up in terms of where Stroman or Ken Giles could end up around the major leagues of baseball. The biggest thing I think is I, I, it just makes more and more sense to me, the Ken Giles, the Red Sox connection. It's going to happen, I think. The Red Sox have to add a arm for their bullpen. Otherwise, they can kiss that playoff appearance goodbye because I don't think they're ever going to catch the Yankees with their bullpen and the wild card thing unless their offense is mashing like they did yesterday to outscore a team 10-6. to 6, That's the only way they're going to make that wild card spot. I completely agree. They're going to be in tough without making a bullpen addition with the likes of Tampa Bay and Texas, who's been surprising this year. Very It'll be interesting, man. There's a lot of interesting questions for the remainder of the year with our Toronto Blue Jays and other teams in the American League East and the American League as a whole. Craig, before we wrap things up, is there anything that we didn't discuss that is top of mind that you want to cover before we sign off tonight? I think we got to check our scoreboard because it might be broken. Our pick-the-clicks <laughs> are still yeah. reading... Craig zero, Brendan one, and guest zero. Um, I don't know what to make of our picks last week. <laughs> they did not work. None I, of them worked I, I, because I, the only one I can make an argument was because maybe we give this one to the guests because Adam Corsair picked Kevin Biggio, who has yep. been the best of those three. We had yep. last week I picked Rowdy Telez, assuming that. But Justin Smoke was not going to be making that entrance back in the lineup as quick as he did over the weekend. And you chose, unfortunately, Trent Thornton, who we had alluded to earlier in the uh, show here, that has been tipping his pitches over his last two starts. So I think we know how that pick might have went. Yep. (laughs) And then we have Kevin Biggio in the guest spot by Adam Corsair. 
So are we going to chalk one up to Mr. Corsair? Or are we going to call a screw him? I, th no, I think we chalk it up. There's no draw there. Corsair is correct. And the guests are on the scoreboard. Who is your pick to click this week? My pick to click, I'm assuming that Danny Jansen's going to continue riding into the sunset here for the rest of the season. So I'm going to ride his hot streak. Yeah, and that's definitely a fair pick. He's been so good over the last few weeks, and he's finally looking like that guy who we saw last year. Mine, I'm not sure who I'm going to pick because they don't want to look as bad as they did by picking Trent Thornton, and I don't think he will get – I don't know if he's going to get another start um, come Sunday or Saturday whenever his next turn through rotation is. It depends right, on – Yeah, <laughs> it, it completely depends on if Stroman's going to go tomorrow night and, and some other options in, in minor leagues who could come up for a start. I don't know. I think I'm going to go offense because I actually have picked quite a few pitchers for a pace to click over the last little while. So I am going to go with, for the remainder of this week, I want to pick Vlad, but I'm not going to do it because I just want to see him get hot going into the All-Star game. I'm not going to pick Cabin because he was just picked, and I'm not going to steal yours. Ah, <laughs> oh, it's tough. You know what? I'm going to go Randall Gritchick. Just goes hot into the All-Star break, and he looks like he's starting to figure things out for a big second half. So I'm going to solidify and final answer Randall Gritchick for my pick-to-click for the remainder of this week before the All-Star game. Yeah, and I'm just going to carry over the Biggio pick for the guest spot, seeing we didn't have a guest this week. <laughs> Do it. <laughs> so, so we can keep going on with that. But uh, honestly, I like the Gritchick pick, and I was thinking about him too because he's one of those guys that's super streaky. And he's been playing the game right the last few games. So yeah. he's one of those guys that will rip off a good week, have three bad games, rip off two more good days, and then finally find it. <laughs> so, yeah. And he's due I for a so. uh, find, I think. So, But, yeah, he, I'm good he, other he, than the picks he, to click. He's, uh, he is uh, he's due for a hot streak. Craig, anything you want to plug or promote? Because usually I'm on the receiving end of that question. Anything that you want to promote and get out into the ether of Blue Jays Twitter and Blue Jays land. I am dying to see Ryan Barucki in a Blue Jay Blue Jays uniform, not a Dunedin Blue Jays uniform. And he has been stellar against the children of the Gulf Coast League and the Dunedin uh, Florida State League so far. It's coming, and it's going to be very exciting, and I can't wait, Brennan. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. He's close. I think it'll be maybe a turn or two through the rotation after the All-Star break when we see Ryan Barucki make his 20 19 debut for the Toronto Blue Jays. Only thing I'm going to throw out there, non-Blue Jays related, because I'm not sure if you saw all the hoopla that was caused by MLSE's plane landing at Pearson Airport today, containing Kawhi Leonard and members of his cat, a member of his crew, coming to meet with the Raptors. Uh, there's talks; it's going to come down to the wire. If he goes to the Raptors, the Lakers, or the Clippers, the fact that he's in Toronto. And there's been a lot more steam that he could re-sign with this team. I'm going to put that into the ether. By the time we record next week, Kawhi Leonard will still be a Toronto Raptor before Ooh, we pick I things like back it. up. <laughs> yeah, I have to put that out there. I'm excited about uh, everything that transpired today. But, uh, yeah, Craig, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, it's been great in the hosting role. Uh, and I think, as we agreed last week, we're going to be flip-flopping for the rest of the year just to keep people on their toes and who they get each given week. I think it's a great idea. I think I'm glad I thought of it. 
Yeah. I, I, I was I, excited was about this whole situation of having guests on and us flip-flopping and having a good time here as I am just watching a 102-mile-an-hour fastball from Nate Pearson on uh, minor league baseball <laughs> TV. That was and, insane for a strikeout. <laughs> so and, it's going to be a fun rest of the season. It is, and that's something to get very, very excited about as our Toronto Blue Jays enter the all-star break and hopefully much more good to come heading into the rest of 2019 and 2020 and follow us our podcast at jaybird watching uh on twitter anywhere you get your podcasting pleasures spotify uh itunes where we would love you to rate subscribe leave comments uh if you want to join us and talk we've had a few questions come in from jason lee is really express his desire to come back on the show if you want to join us on one of these random talks about the state of the blue jays and your thoughts heading into the back end of the season in 2020 just send us an at to our twitter handle or reach out at craig borden uh or craigers i can always mess up your twitter handle uh or at panacar 37 and we'll get you on the show we want to talk but by all means please everybody listen rate subscribe anywhere you get your podcasting pleasures And until we record next week, let's go Blue Jays. Let's go Blue Jays. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.